Santa. Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to the men in the room. So glad to be on this journey with you. Uh, today I'll be preaching a message out of the book of Ephesians. We've been in this series called Found and uh, quite excited about what God might share to us uh, through his word. So will you bow your heads and pray with me now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gathering of your people, for the uh, proclamation of your word, for the singing of your saints, for the prayer of your people. Lord, it's all, it's all good. And it's meant to bring glory to you. We pray now, Lord, as we continue to teach you this book of Ephesians, that we would be encouraged and, and, and hold true to the promise that our growth is anchored in you and in one another. What a mystery. What a profound mystery. Open us up for your revelation this morning, Lord. Open our eyes and our ears and mostly our heart to receive you again and again and again and again. And all God's people said... Amen. Your title this morning is You Will Grow. You Will Grow. It's lifted out of Ephesians 4. I'll be preaching over the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4. I hope you brought your Bibles. You Will Grow. Uh, if you remember over the last couple of weeks, and, and maybe we've missed some, but three weeks ago I started, uh, the first time I got to preach in this series, Pastor Raul kicked us off after Richard. Raul talked about brokenness, really Wonderful message is on the website you can listen to, uh, and he'll be sharing again next week. Uh, and then I, I talked two weeks ago about you'll be found, about our identity being anchored in Christ. And then last week, I, I gave a message called you will have power, and talked about this word of power, dynamis, that the Spirit of God longs to give us power. And then today, as uh, we look at the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4, this promise of growth and growing together. So identity and power and growth. It's, the, it's an imperative. It's a promise that comes through God's word today. You will grow. And I don't know about you, but I love movies about, uh, you know, kind of coming of age where kids learn something together and they grow. I don't know if you have a favorite coming of age movie. Some of us older in the room, maybe you'd say, uh, like, Stand By Me or Breakfast Club of the 80s, uh, or Boyhood was a great movie that came out five or six years ago. There's a, there's a ton of great, great movies uh, that are these coming-of-age genre. And in the coming-of-age genre, that, that, that every good coming-of-age story uh, involves different kids from different backgrounds on some sort of quest. And on a quest, think Goonies. Uh, who remember Goonies? Like, there's a quest. <coughs> Excuse me. And in the quest, these different kids from different, you know, backgrounds and, and kind of cultural pieces, they, they discover something together. And what they learn on the quest of a coming-of-age story is that the narrative is informed by their individual parts make something greater than they would have achieved together. Like, one of the greatest stories to exemplify this is, is Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club, 1985. Uh, John Hughes was the director. He was the classic director of the coming-of-age story of the 80s. And in the Breakfast Club of 1985, it, star, it uh, starred future stars Molly Ringwald, Amelia Estevez, Judd Nelson. Anyone under the age of 30 right now is like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. But you can, you can YouTube this. Breakfast Club tells this story of these five different kids... That that have to spend a Saturday detention together. Five different types, archetypes really. There was the wealthy girl and the kind of, you know, shy, quiet, brainy girl. And there was the thug guy and the athlete guy. And then the kind of nerdy guy. And all five of these start really, really different. And they have a principal who's kind of lording over them. But over the course of the day, they learn to value each other beyond their individual experiences. 
They learn to value each other more than their socioeconomic status. They learn to value each other uh, despite their background. And so it's this coming-of-age story really anchored in a Saturday morning detention. And at the end of the movie, there's this kind of poignant speech where the principal is given these five different archetypes, the assignment of writing an essay, and they write it together. They're on this quest about identity and purpose to survive detention and to survive the principal bender was his name. And at the end of the, of the movie, there's this narrative that kind of speaks uh, the breakfast club. They write this letter, Dear Mr. Ver- Vernon, the principal, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. We think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling us who you think we are. That was the assignment. Who do you think you are? See, they continue writing, you see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain and each one of us is an athlete and each one of us is a basket case and each one of us is a princess and each one of us is a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, the breakfast club. And then the final scene, there's the the kind of criminal guy, Bender. He's walking across the field with his arms raised in defiance. Like they survived the quest. They've learned something together. And as they emerge from detention, there's new relationships. Of course, there's a romantic element because it's a coming of age story. But they've learned something. They've survived and they're better despite the fact that they started in really different places. And at a very simple level, the book of Ephesians is kind of the breakfast club where Paul is taking people in Asia Minor and saying, hey, I know in the, in the, as the church starts here, remember it was written to the people of Ephesus, but it was widely distributed. Paul's saying, you have no business to be together. You have no business to share some sort of coming of age if not for Jesus Christ. And in your relationship with Christ, you will find your growth together. Come to me and and grow, says Jesus. Paul's encouraging the early church, do not forget your calling to grow and to grow together. To to live up to the calling, to walk in a manner worthy. That that how we act flows out of we behave. And this really is a segue. Chapter 4 becomes a segue of Ephesians from, you know, these kind of imperatives. Like who God says we are, who God says we are, who God says we are. And then Ephesians 4 begins, now walk in a manner worthy. And it's like, whoa, whoa, we get reactive. Like why am I measured by how I walk? Paul's like, no, 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 no. No, you're, you're already, you've already had grace spoken over you. And affection and identity and belonging. You will be found. You will have power through God and not yourself. And now, as a recipient of God's great love, says Paul, Ephesians 4, walk in this manner and walk together. You're in a coming of age story as an early church. And the way that you walk will determine what you believe. Or as Jesus says, anyone that wants to follow me, pick up my cross and follow me. It's a walk. It's a journey. This act of faith is we're growing together. That we're supposed to be on this path towards maturity. No longer like infants tossed on the waves, says Paul in Ephesians 4. No, we're trying to grow. We're called. And this church takes very serious this imperative that we're called to be God's people. Hearing about the extravagant love, but sent on a trajectory That my life can't look the same now that who Jesus says I am. And I can't keep falling into the same traps and the same traps. Lord Jesus, will you grow us as individuals? Lord Jesus, will you grow us as a church community? 
This is Ephesians, where the grace of the Lord Jesus calling us to be on a journey. And it counteracts a narrative in our, in our community, in our culture today. No, 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 no. No, I'm kind of a free agent. No, I don't, I don't necessarily need other people. I'm not sure I even need the church. It's, you know, if I have God's word, if I have God in my heart, I can kind of do my own thing. Well, Ephesians 4 speaks out against this. Ephesians 4, along with John 17, are the two key chunks off quoted with Christian unity. That the, the, the desire of our Lord Jesus Christ is somehow that we would be held in tension by the center point of Jesus in our lives. And so Paul says, you absolutely need other people on your faith journey. Nobody goes at it alone. And so real maturity from the book of Ephesians chapter 4, it's seen in, in a oneness, in this growing together, that, that we live into our calling as a, as a refuge where Christ is calling us together to worship him, and somehow we need each other on this journey, in this coming-of-age narrative. And so our big idea today is simply this, that we're called as God's church to be recovering the first love of the church to grow as disciples. We're going to be talking about three ways to grow in your outline this morning. First is our unity through diversity. Secondly is experiencing the grace through the gifts that God has given. And third, it's fighting the battle of disunity, but fighting it together. That's what Christ is calling us through Ephesians 4. Let's look first at at the mission of the church is unity through diversity. And I want to lift up here verses 1 through 6 that the, the calling of the church, the mission of the church, how we live out God's promises the church is we have unity through diverse gifts. Through diverse backgrounds. This, of course, in the church of Ephesus, people were very, very different. They would have never been even in the same room before the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were Jew and Gentile. They couldn't even associate together. They were slave and free. They were male and female. These, we would never gather with people if not for this new word of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, look at verse 1. He's saying, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Kind of here's the blanket. This is what I want you to get. That there is a life worthy for you that you've been called to. You've received it. You didn't earn it. But as you've, as you've received it, now you've been given a gift you're held responsible to. Verse 2, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is incredible. Be completely humble, Paul is saying. Completely humble. Now, it's interesting because this word for humility, Christians actually made up this word. In the ancient world, to be humble and to think, like right now, we can say, oh, you know, think of a leader or a celebrity or, you know, Russell Wilson. Like, think of somebody say, well, they're a really humble person. In our culture today, that would be, you know, a way to honor them. That though they have power at their disposal, they choose to lay it down. They're, they're humble. We honor that. But in the ancient world, particularly in the Roman world, uh, humility was, was not something to be honored. No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a shame and honor culture where humility was to be trounced upon. When you were humble in the arena in ancient Rome, you would be destroyed. So don't be humble, be strong. Like that was the ethos of the Roman Empire. And they would gather in the Colosseum and whoever was the strongest would survive. And whoever was humble or weak would be slaughtered. And Paul is calling the church into this new practice of humility. He's saying that as, as Christians, that when we walk the walk of God's journey, we, we lay our lives down. And then we find it again, and God puts us back together and sends us on a journey. 
So if we're walking toward Jesus, it's, hey, I'm for it, God. If you're going to give the gifts, you're going to give me power, if you're going to meet my needs. But Paul is saying, be humble. Open up your hands. Lay down your lives. Be willing for God to send you maybe on a journey that you didn't want to take. Be willing for God to use you in a way that may be surprising. This walk may look different than the walk that you intended. So walk it out, says Paul, and be humble because God will remind you that on your walk, he's willing to surround us with his love. That this is really, really important. But as we're on this walk, okay, I'll do this, Scott. I, I think I'm for this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling I've received. Be completely humble for the gift that I've received. This is going to be hard. Paul's saying, as you do this walk of faith, you have to be ready to, to take journeys that will surprise you. But no, you never walk alone. You never do. And so when you're taking a surprising journey, if you're anything like me, you may get angry. You may often feel anxious. You may be surprised here on Father's Day. This wasn't the way I thought Father's Day would be in 2018. Because of something with my father, something with my son. Because I'm not a father yet and, and that's not how I intended to be. God says, I will be the God of your journey. But, but just know, it'll be a different journey sometimes than you intended to take. But it can be good. Be humble and know you're never alone. And to exemplify this, the fact that God is always willing to be with us and surround us, even in quite invisible ways, when we're never as alone as we think we are. I love that passage from 2 Kings 6, 17, where Elisha and his servant are, are surrounded by the enemy, and they can only, you know, they can count the enemies all around them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Elisha knows that God's surrounding him. Even, even though he can't see it with his physical eyes, he prays for the eyes of the heart of his servant to see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's amazing. This journey we walk will be surprising, can be difficult. Maybe, you know, maybe at times you'll feel alone. And God says, that's precisely when I want to remind you, you are never alone when you walk with me. You're never alone. So walk it out and open up your hands and be humble and be cognizant that when you feel lonely, that's precisely when God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Do not forget that I'm with you. Then Paul says here in verse 3, these chapters are so chock full of meaning, just verse by verse. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul said, walk your journey and then be humble, but know here, verse 3, that we're going to make every effort to keep the unity through peace. Or, or another way to say it is to be eager to maintain unity of the Spirit, to be eager to, to, to make every effort. The Greek word here is this spudizontes, which is a present participle, a continuous, diligent activity. It's an emphatic term which means spare no effort. This was the strongest language Paul could have written. So he's writing to the church and he says, make every effort. He's like yelling through the, through the pages of the letter. Remember, he's in jail, but he's writing this to ch church in Ephesus and he's saying, please, 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 please do not forget you are on a mission together on this walk of, a, of humility, being reminded that you don't walk alone. Paul's saying, live this out together. You're on a mission together. How do we know that? Well, then look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul just says, like, here's where I'm going to, I'm just going to break it down for you. There's one body 
And then there's one spirit. Count the number of ones with me. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the message, says Paul. You are one. Seven times. You're, you're one. So just remember that the unity of a theme, that, that diversity is good as you're, as you're part of this family of faith. You're going to look different because he's writing to people that are just so different, rallying around Christ. He's like, hey, it's not going to be uniformity, but we can have unity. And that unity through our individual gifts is what makes us one. It's what makes us one. And though, especially in this day and age, that we love to, to kind of group up with people that think like us or vote like us or look like us, Paul's like, it's in precisely your diversity that you'll experience your unity. It's as you're walking towards Christ with really different people that you can be reminded that we never walk alone. It's beautiful and so challenging. This has been Bethany's mission from the beginning. One of our kind of unofficial taglines. In, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. This was carved into a little saying because Pastor John, who's a pastor for over three decades, used to say this. And so it's carved into a piece of wood hanging in an old building at the Green Lake location. It's been an unofficial motto for this church for over 100 years. In essentials, man, unity. But in non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. What does it mean? It means that we're one, but we're different. And so we need each other. And so we're, we're called here to, to, to fight against this, this kind of preemptive desire to be with people that agree with us on all the non-essential issues and, and to be together in our diversity around the, about the essential of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. This is especially difficult in our culture right now today, right? I mean, we get it. This is so, so difficult. It feels acutely difficult. A couple of weeks ago, I got to preach on the tearing down of the dividing wall and about how that felt like a specific word to this church in this season that we don't need to separate on issues of culture, that we can stay united on Jesus Christ, even in our very different kind of aspects of, of what's going on in our culture. Because of who Jesus is, we can maintain unity. And after the service, a couple of the old-time Bethany folks who've been here for decades and decades you know, they came up and said, you know, that, that's a good message about the dividing wall and about unity and about being different. And I said, yeah, but this is, this is our legacy. We talked about the legacy of Bethany. 100 years, two senior pastors, the last 50 years, and, and how we're not united by, by anything other than Christ. And I said, but you guys have been through this before. Bethany went through, you know, the culture wars of, you know, whatever. Every decade has the war. You know, it's in the 80s, maybe it was about abortion. In the 60s, it was about Vietnam. You know, every, every generation has like the, the big dividing wall. I said, you've been through it before. Bethany's been through this. I said, yeah, not, but like, not like this. I said, what do you mean? I said, it's never been this hard to maintain unity in the church. Because a lot of times in the past, the, the wars were going maybe outside the walls of the church, where right now it feels like inside the walls of the church, there's not unity. And so it's tough to maintain this unity on Christ, that we are one, we are one, we are one, we are one, we are one. I mean, Paul's just saying over and over and over again. I, I spoke about this a couple weeks ago, Pastor Raul did as well, that we took a group of men to Men's Malibu several, a month ago now. Beautiful time. God did a lot of amazing things. We had men just really encounter Christ in new and profound ways. Really different guys. White and brown, tall and short, and old and young. It's remarkable. And um, this is, this is the, the club room, it's called, at Malibu. 
And so we're kind of midway through the weekend, and we gather in here to hear messages and, and worship God. And like, this is, this is the actual view. And you stare looking up Princess Louisa Inlet. It's amazing. Well, there was this battle going on in my head. Because while we're worshiping, I was also mindful of just how much disunity was in the church. How much disunity about, you know, this person or that person and the battles and the infighting. And as we started to, to worship God, I was just telling myself, like, I'm alone. Uh, things with the church are struggling. Uh, things with my identity is struggling. And we're trying, you know, this worship is going on all around me, but I can't feel it because I'm kind of caught up in my own headspace, even though this amazing thing's playing out. And the word of God just came to me so profoundly. It's got whose church is it? It's not even Bethany's church. It's definitely not your church as a leader. Christ reminded me, it's my church. Let the people worship me and I will draw different peoples and different backgrounds for my glory this is my church, and I'm sitting there, and the men around me are singing this new song. It's this very simple song. It has two refrains. Sometimes simple songs, like, gosh, they can be mind-numbing. I want, I want theological depth in a worship song. But sometimes, really, the simple songs allow us to think less and, and to kind of turn up, maybe even shut our eyes. And the song is simply this. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It's just that refrain over and over again. And then, and then the second part, the chorus. It may seem like I'm surrounded, but God, I'm surrounded by you. And so the men all around me are seeing this. And as I'm trying to worship God in this place, I'm seeing images of my own failure. Not moral failure or anything like that, but actually issues of disunity in the church. It's like a slideshow. I'm like, stop thinking about that. Issue of disunity, slideshow in my brain. Stop thinking about that. And the enemy was so trying to make me feel like a failure. Meanwhile, Christ is speaking this word in my life. This is how we fight our battles. You may think you're surrounded, but I'm surrounding you. And I continue to call my people to worship of me. Do not be distracted by the issues of the day. Preach the word of God. And may Jesus Christ come alive in our lives. And as Jesus comes alive in our life, now we can talk about issues in our families. Now we can talk about issues with our kids. Now we can talk about issues of race or gender, sexuality. Like, it's good. We'll have good conversations. But all of it comes after we proclaim who Jesus is. Who he says we are. We're his. And that was just such a powerful reminder for me at Malibu. That the, the unity of God is to be just rallied around his center point in our hearts. So we preach Christ over and over and over again as he calls us one and one and one. We're his. Secondly, God gives us gifts to experience his grace. What are we talking about here? Look at verses 7 through 12 in Ephesians 4. Where to, Paul says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He's given, us, he's given us his grace. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave himself, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's a lot of words there. There's two big things you need to kind of wrestle with as you're reading your Bible this week. Verses 7 through 10 are problematic for many. 
I don't know what your theology is, but while Jesus was not alive, when he'd given up his life on Good Friday before he ascended on Easter morning, where did he go? What happened? We're not going to get into it right here, but there's different ways to read this verse. Now, we were studying this as a teaching team. We meet every Monday, all the pastors from all the locations, and we're praying about the text and studying it. And one you know, theological background says that Jesus descended to hell and then beat hell and ascended. Some say he you know, lived on earth, kind of you know, silently waiting to ascend. And, and this argument, and, and then one of the pastors we're studying with is Pastor Otis. He's, he's, a, he's a full-time vocational pastor, uh, well, bivocational pastor down at Holly Park Community Church, a mostly African-American church in Rainier Valley. And he's, he's doing a season of kind of internship and, and leading at Bethany. And he's studying with us. And it was just awesome. He's, he's just got this powerful voice. And he says, you know, people will argue about, you know, where Jesus went. He says, I don't care where he went because he went somewhere and now he's bringing us the gifts. Amen. And we're all like, amen. Jesus went somewhere. But what Paul said is he brought us gifts. And Paul kind of parenthetically adds his own theology that Jesus descended and ascended, whether that is in physical or spiritual sin. He laid down his earthly body to pick it up again and to ascend on high where he waits for us. That's all that really matters. Now, what exactly? That's all that really matters. And he's given us these gifts. Again, as one body, he's given us these grace of his, his mercy and his love and his sacrifice. That's the gifts that he's given to equip. And don't get lost in verse 11, that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Guess what? That's you. And I don't know what your primary spiritual giftings are. If, if kind of research is right, many of you sit in the pews and you're like, I don't know what my primary spiritual giftings are. I want to learn. How do I learn what my primary giftings are? We pray. We meet with pastors or others. We journal. We say, God, who did you make me to be in service of your church? And we discern. But know that this catalog of, of gifts given in verse 11, look at verse 12. It's all about Jesus. It's to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. You are verse 11. Find yourself somewhere in that verse. And I don't know, like, oh, am I, am I more of an evangelist and more of an apostle? All those just feel like really churchy words. Paul's just saying to the early church, find yourself in the story. You've been given a gift. You have a gift. And it's, it's for you both to be received and to be used for others. So if you sit here this morning, you're like, man, I just need to receive God's gift. Remember that Jesus is the gift giver. And he longs to just give you himself. If you're sad this morning, experience the gift of God's joy. If if you're anxious this morning, experience the gift of God's peace. Are you worried this morning? Excellent. Experience the gift of God's just transcendent love. Whatever gift you need for Jesus, he's like, it's for you. Go ahead and receive it. But know that ultimately I give you gifts for you to bless other people with. And so if you sit here this morning, you're like, man, I, I'm just feeling so blessed. Life is a gift. And here it is, 80 degrees in Seattle, and it's like easy to remember God's great gift in our lives. Paul's saying, remember, you've been given a gift for works of service for others. Not, not a guilt trip, but just have eyes. Who do you need to love today? Who do you need to bring joy to today? Who do you need to give a word of encouragement today? We met with the men that went to Malibu this week to kind of pray and to kind of hear what God was doing. 
And, and someone said, just so powerful, I just loved it. They said, we need to get to church and just stop saying, how you doing while we eat muffins? And we need to say, how are you growing? Like, we need each other. And we phone it in over muffins and coffee because, frankly, a lot of times it's easier to stay on the surface. I get it. It's easier for me too. But you need people in your life that are asking you, how are you growing in the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and, you know, seek that out and be somebody that, that asks those good questions of others. God gives the grace of his gifts for his glory. When I graduated from Fuller Seminary, I, I was like, this is awesome. I've now spent $80,000 on a seminary education or whatever the final number is. What do I get? Is there a gold watch? Maybe a nice pen. Not to be had. My graduation ceremony, they brought us up front. They gave me a diploma, a piece of paper. There was a nice covering on the paper, I guess. And I think of it, it was leather or something. And then they gave me a white towel. White towel. I'm like, what do I do with this? The towel is for works of service. Because here's the thing, church. I've told this story before. I'm not going to tell it right now, but about washing feet last summer at the junction. Some of the most incredible lessons of life you will only learn from your knees while you're serving other people. And I get it that some of you this morning are like, I need somebody to serve me. I've got nothing to give. And so may, may Christ find you in this present season that people want to serve you and walk with you and love you, but may you know that it's actually as you serve others, as you wash their feet metaphorically, as you bring a meal, as you speak a word of encouragement, as you ask a brother or sister in Christ, how are you growing right now? That Christ will grow you. That your gift has been given by the grace of the Lord Jesus in order for works of service to build his church up. And all that leads us to this final point. The final point is that we're called as God's people to fight this battle of disunity. And I, I'm, I'm like you. I tire of the battle imagery in kind of the Old Testament and like, you know, killing people for Jesus. No, I, I, that doesn't fit actually very culturally right now. But Paul says that it's this disunity, it's an actual real battle we need to face. And church, it is a real battle right now that we are facing Paul says that in verse 13, he says that we will reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. A lot of words there. Paul's proclaiming this promise that unity in our faith will help us understand more of the knowledge of God and will bring us maturity. That we will grow. We've got to grow. We've got to go on that coming of age story. We've got to be different than how we were before. And why? Because it's as we grow in Christ and we love one another, we experience real growth. Real growth on this journey together. Experiencing life. Look at uh, verse 14. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. There's... About three different metaphors Paul's using in verse 14. He's talking about no longer infants, but then it's an infant tossed back and forth by the wave. Now that's kind of like, what are you talking about? Like think about an infant in a boat, completely unprepared to face the, the, the battle that it's facing. And then there's this other teaching, crafting teaching that we're going to be able to discern. There's like three different metaphors Paul's using, all saying the same thing. We've got to grow. He's saying, don't, don't be a baby. You got to grow. You can't just stay as an infant on the sea. When I was eight years old, I told my dad, I want to go fishing down on the coast of Washington. My dad, my late uncle Larry, my late grandfather Harold, it was a culture of men. 
Salmon fishing on the coast. Anyone ever go fishing on the coast of Westport here? Yeah. Okay. It gets super rough out there. I wanted that. I was eight years old. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm basically a man. You know, all that was like not happening at eight was like, obviously everything. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm mature. I'm ready. I couldn't see where I needed to go yet. All I saw was these guys went and ate pancakes and came back like eight hours later with a bunch of fish. Sounds fantastic. We, I'm like, please, dad, please, please, please. Finally, he's like, enough. This kid doesn't stop. This happened with me shooting a shotgun. Different story. I'm not going to tell you that story today. But we're going fishing Westport. I begged for it. I begged for it. I begged for it. I thought I was mature. I thought I was ready. We went and did pancakes at three in the morning. Pretty cool to go have pancakes three in the morning. We get in the boat. We leave the harbor. We head out. It's rolling about 20 feet off Westport over the bar. We have to actually follow the charter boats out. And there was quite a difference between what I thought I was ready for and what I was actually ready for. I was an infant on the waves who then threw up for the next eight hours. Just so seasick, right? Now, some of you would be like, well, yeah, surely your dad ran you into the harbor, right? And it's like, no, because the fish were biting and that's a different story. But uh, hey, here's the reality. Like, we think we're mature, Paul's like, it's not until you grow, it's not until you maintain unity around Christ with people that look differently than you, then you'll be carried into a new, a new growth where you'll have people around you to take you on the waves of the sea. He's like, don't be like that kid in the boat. Don't be like that rough scene. We, we need growth. We need accountability. We need intentionality. We need community. We need confession. We need to stop just saying, Hey, how you doing? And we need to keep asking, how are you growing? Let's not stay static in our journeys. Paul is then saying in verse 15, look at this. This is the promise we cling and teach this morning. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. We'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. It's a promise. We will grow. Oxano. It's a promise. You'll grow like this. It's the same verb Jesus used in Matthew 13 where he said the parable of the mustard seed that from the tiniest of seeds becomes the biggest of trees. Paul's saying, that's your life with Christ in you. So keep taking that journey. Keep walking that out in faith that we will grow with others. Loving Jesus and then speaking the truth in love. The actual translation from Greek would actually be something more like truthing in love. It's truthing in love. We speak, but we speak out of love, out of truth. We've used that verse as a club sometimes. I'm just truth telling, like they can't handle the truth. Paul's saying here, here's the reality. Like we will love and we will have truth of who Jesus is and we'll speak from that place. Love, truth, speak. Or as 1 John 3.18 says, dear children, let us love. Let us not love with just words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. This is how the body of Christ is held together. And it's the truth, but it's because we love each other well and we're committed to fighting this battle of disunity. We need each other. Or as the late singer Rich Mullen said, nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you got it all together, you don't need to go to church. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way there, to the people who will greet you there, that you don't have it all together and that you need their support. You need their direction. You need some accountability. You need some some help. And so Paul just kind of finishes. He says, 
from Christ, the whole body, is joined together and held, supporting every ligament, and it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We will grow, but we must grow together. We must grow together, fighting this battle of disunity. And Jesus called Peter to walk in the manner worthy of his calling. He said, Peter, come to me. And Peter walked. He walked towards Jesus. And as long as he was eyes up on Christ, he could walk on the waves. It's the walk of faith. It's amazing. Eyes up on Christ. And then when he turns to look at the waves, when he turns to look at the wind, when he turns to look at the distraction, he starts to sink. I feel like I've been reading this verse wrong for years because Jesus grabs him and Jesus holds him close. And I always heard Jesus' words, you have little faith, why didn't you believe? Like I always kind of thought Jesus was disappointed in Peter. And the older I get and the harder this walk gets, I realize Jesus was probably quite compassionate. Oh, you have small faith. Believe that I'm the one that called you to come to me. And when you walk in a manner worthy to me, says Jesus, eyes on me, you'll never walk alone. So fight that battle of discouragement. Fight that battle of anxiety. Fight that battle of believing that you're a different tribe or different group of people that maybe you would feel more seen and known. Fight that battle of loneliness. Fight that battle of shame that's had a narrative in your voice. Fight any battle, says Jesus, that's taking you away from worship of me. You will grow, says Jesus, but you'll grow together towards me. So come to me. Come to me. And remember your identity. And remember that you have power through, your, through my spirit. And, and remember this promise that all growth happens in relationship one to another. For the glory of Christ, our King. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the reminder from your scriptures that growth is inevitable as we walk towards you. And Lord, we know there are many seasons and times where it feels as if we're walking alone. Remind us this morning, Lord, that we do not walk alone, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are longing to walk with us. Lord, give us eyes for those that are lonely and anxious and hurting and let us love them well. Lord, may your spirit dwell in those that are here this morning or listening online that have huge holes in their hearts. Lord God, fill them up. Lord God, may your grace fall upon their lives. Lord God, would you call them to come to you. And may we come to you as a church, coming together, fighting any battle separating us from your glory in our lives. Fighting any battle of discouragement, any battle of anxiety, any battle. Lord God, you are the high king calling all of us to worship you for your glory and your glory alone. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us in song? And if you would, I would love to encourage you to sing this audaciously simple song that you would know that as you're fighting any battle this morning, that the Lord Jesus has you and you're not alone. You're not alone. His spirit is with you. Let's close in singing together. Would you pray with me now, Lord Jesus, thank you for this reminder of your reckless love for us, the promise that we will grow like small seeds into great trees, that you're calling us to you. Encourage us, Lord, inspire us, strengthen us for your glory. May our gifts be used. Thank you for this wonderful morning of worship in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Reminder, if you need prayer this morning.